You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning once again. We'd like to welcome everybody here on this Lord's Day. We appreciate everybody's presence, especially our visitors. I invite you to come back any opportunity you have. You can see all the opportunities we have in front of us here this week. Well, this morning, <clears throat> you didn't get much warning, but I'm happy to bring the lesson to you. And I'll give you a little warning. In two weeks, I'm preaching again. September 11th, Jay's going to be football vacationing in Texas <clears throat> and uh, for a deserved, long-deserved vacation. So we, uh, uh, I'll be preaching again. I think I'm going to preach on... Uh, Christian influence. So this morning, inspired by several different sources, we're going to preach a lesson on uh, authority and Christ's uh, <clears throat> input on that and Paul and a few others. And uh, we'll kind of teach about uh, things that I think are troubling this world right now. I uh, oftentimes talk about Bible things with friends and Things come up and they're so off base. The reason why they're so off base is they're not reading the Bible or they're not believing the Bible. And then we uh, preach at uh, Maria Court often. And there's a few, uh, uh, we're happy that they're attending, don't get me wrong, but there's a few ladies that show up with an axe to grind. And one of the axes they grind is uh, our singing. Uh, they prefer a piano or a guitar. And that comes up quite a bit. But one time after we got done, I think uh, Jay was out of town, and uh, one of the ladies talked about a conference they had in Udall. And uh, she just didn't know what to do about it. And they were discussing whether to accept homosexuality. And they went on and forth. Some liked it, or some were okay with it, some weren't okay with it. And on and on the discussion, and she didn't know. And I got to thinking, did anybody quote from Romans 1? No, nobody went to the Bible to decide what to do. So we all know we have a big problem in this country and in this land and this world about authority and what goes on. Jesus prayed about this, and he prayed about the uh, problems we would have in John chapter 17. And there we have this marvelous accounting of Jesus praying uh, here, and it's a long chapter of John 17. It should be on my uh, usual study list to read through that prayer every now and then. But first of all, he prays for himself, which was he's about to be crucified, and he knew all that was about to happen. And he said that uh, through all of this, he wanted to make sure he still glorified God. I thought that was so interesting, so powerful. Then he also prayed for his disciples. They were about to become the center of the Christian faith. Jesus was about to be crucified, died, resurrected, and then to spread on the word after he went into heaven would be these disciples. He talked about in, in, uh, in uh, John chapter 17 about how God had given these disciples to Jesus. That's quite a responsibility. They were men that were selected for the duty. He also talked about Jesus then gave them the word from God. So they had these things to begin with. Then finally, gets to our lesson, he prays for all believers. 
2,000 years ago, and Jesus is praying for us. There he says in John 17, he's praying for all those who will believe in me. What a powerful prayer for us to consider. Jesus praying on our behalf. John 17, verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me. Through their word, that means the disciples' word, that were given to them from God, they, that they all may be one as you. Father, are you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. There's a couple of clues there we need to key on. I got them underlined there. He's praying for us today, but also he's praying that they will be united. How? By their word. The word that we find in the Holy Bible. That's so important for us here in our study today, in Jesus' prayer. Paul also had this concern. And he had quite a plea that we all have one faith. You know, faith is sometimes a verb, talks about the way to believe, but also faith is used as a noun. And here in Paul's uh, quote in Ephesians, faith is a noun, <clears throat> talking about the faith we should all have. <clears throat> now, I want you guys to count how many ones, O and E, are in this verse. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Paul was pleading for unity. Here he wanted us all to be together. And he talks about having one faith. Whole lesson here. And if you counted, there were seven ones. One thing that we should do. And there's seven in this verse here that we should concentrate on. And Paul is pleading for us, even today, to keep this one faith going. Talking about one faith. I already told you, faith is sometimes used as a noun. What's the body of doctrine that, we, that is to be believed and accepted by Christians? So if you're of the Christian faith, you're looking for that. You're looking for that one body of doctrine that can be accepted by Christians. You know, Christian denominations readily admit, without any shame at all, that they're having, they have different faiths. They think, well, that's just the way it is. We have Catholic faith. We have Pentecostal faith, Mormon faith, Lutheran faith, Methodist faith. The list goes on and on. We have all these different faiths, and that's okay, they tell us. The world tells us, let's go along with it. We all have different beliefs. That's okay. We can get together. You know, churches in every community, even here in Mulvane, have very different teachings on some very important tenets of the Christian faith. Think about it. Baptism. We got all kinds of beliefs about that. <clears throat> Lord's Supper. That's really getting confused. <laughs> the more I hear about what people do with the Lord's Supper. Women preachers. You know, our Savior Lutheran Church had two things. <laughs> they had a woman preacher that was a homosexual. She was standing in the pulpit every Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, we have differences about speaking in tongues. We have differences about authority of tradition. Some churches think tradition of men, something should be elevated to worship. 
have different ideas about prayer. I keep hearing about the thousand year reign and and I need to study more about this so I can confront it. But people are all into preliminary, I can't even say it, preliminary, I can't say it. Thousand year reign is what they're talking about. And uh, poor Bobby, yes, this is me up here stumbling all the time, I tell you. Anyway, uh, all these different things are being preached throughout the whole community here. <clears throat> so we need some basis, don't we? We need some way to get this all together. We need to have, as Paul was praying for, one faith. <clears throat> you know, back in the first century, when Paul and those disciples and Christ were, after Christ, when disciples were going from town to town, you imagine what they are thinking about Paul hitting Rome or hitting uh, uh, in all these big towns he went to, Athens. That must have been something for him. But hitting these little towns too. You know what Paul could do? He could go to any church and preach the same thing everywhere. Paul preached the word of God everywhere he went. Never changed his uh, thing. He kept it going straight the way it should be. He couldn't do that today, could he? He couldn't walk into any church and preach about baptism. He couldn't walk into any church and and preach about uh, uh, prayer. I mean, everybody has different ideas about it. Well, back then, they were teaching one thing. There was just one Christian faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For this reason, I've sent you Timothy to you, and he is my beloved and faithful son and Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. I think that's amazing. This message was consistent, and on and on it went, teaching the word. Well, men got a hold of it, started changing things around. So we have to ask ourselves the question, where do we get our faith? Where do we get the things that we believe in? You know, you think about the strife in the world right now concerning religion. It's all about authority or lack of it. The real issue of all religious strife has to do with authority, doesn't it? Where do we get our reasons for doing things? When it comes to authority, let's start with the first thing. In religion, it's inherent in God. He's our primary authority, isn't he? The creator has all authority or all power. I love the the prophet Isaiah. Things he says in that book are so powerful. Here he talks about that idea. He asks us to consider a couple questions. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding, no one can fathom. Isn't that true? I use the NIV version. I like the way it read here in this verse here, but ask yourself that question. Who else is there? Where do we get our authority? Of course, primary authority will rest with your creator, our God in heaven. We also have delegated authority, don't we? Jesus had that power. God gave that power to Jesus. Jesus gave that power to apostles. 
They're reading in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and spoke to them. This is about before he's ascending into heaven. All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Nothing confusing about that. That's straightforward, isn't it? Matthew chapter 16 talks about Christ and the apostles. <clears throat> Here's Christ speaking here. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whenever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whenever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that continued to build. The apostles had no idea what they were about to experience. But here Christ is conferring on them the same authority. So there's a delegated authority. That's why I was so interested in what the apostles did and what they wrote in the New Testament. We have another authority that should be a concern to us also. And that's a stolen or unlawful authority. This summarized best for me, I think, in Matthew 15, 9. Simple verse. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And that's what's going on, isn't it? People are rising up. They're teaching things that they think should be. They're looking for themselves for the commandments of men. That's why that church council couldn't come to a decision. They weren't looking at the authority they had probably right in front of them, the Holy Bible. So let's talk a little bit about divine authority, authority that comes from God. First one that comes up, part of divine authority, and we see it in the New Testament, and we'll see these all of these examples in the New Testament with about divine authority. First thing that comes up, so probably the easiest for us to get a handle on, that's a direct command. We have an example here in 1 Corinthians 11 and 25 <coughs> concerning the Lord's Supper. One of the commands that's uh, violated quite frequently in this town or in this community, in this world, has to do with the Lord's Supper. <coughs> here Paul is talking about it in 1 Corinthians. In the same manner, talking about Jesus setting up the Lord's Supper, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in memories of me. So God, or Jesus here, through Paul, is telling us that we need to have this supper. And we need to do it in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's a direct command. Can't get around that. Why do people not do it? They're not following the Bible. Or maybe they don't know what the Bible says. Another example of divine authority is example. And we look at examples in the New Testament also. Sometimes they're called approved example. I was looking over some old sermons and used some of that terminology. In 1 Peter chapter 2, talking about an approved example here. For, for to, 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also uh, suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. We have verses in the Bible talking about the apostles being an example. Paul asks us to follow him also. But here we have Jesus and the great suffering that he did and the many lessons he's taught. He also is an example for us. Going to that illustration we use of the Lord's Supper <clears throat> here in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. It says here, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. 
that gives us another idea that we're seeing an example. You know, those first century Christians, they had the Lord's Supper first day of the week. That's why we do it now. I think in town you can get the Lord's Supper on a Wednesday, on a special holiday. You can get it on Saturday night. On and on it goes. Also, you can get Kool-Aid and uh, uh, Raisin Bread if you want for the Lord's Supper. They see what happens when you get away from the Bible. Everything goes a little bit wonky on us here. So here, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, tells us to do it on the first day of the week. And we'll follow that example, won't we, if we're interested in what the New Testament tells us. Next one's a little harder to get a handle on. It has to do with inference. The old preachers always called it necessary inference. Here, uh, we'll use the Lord's Supper again. There it says the Lord's Supper, uh, we want to show the Lord's Supper is every first day of the week. When I grew up as a Lutheran, we would have a, a communion Sunday. That's what they called it. They do it once a month. We get together and do it once a month. They weren't following the example or the inference we have in the New Testament. Reading Acts 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. So we see they were having communion, or the Lord's Supper, on the first day of the week. I don't know why we got away from that. You go to the Old Testament, talking about the Sabbath day. It says in Ten Commandments of the Old Testament, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And then uh, 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 that tells us that uh, that's something that they would do every day uh, to remember the Sabbath. They weren't told to just remember the Sabbath every now and then. And uh, we use that, we accept that example or that inference. But we have a lot of trouble accepting Acts 20 and verse 7. Another inference that a lot of people have trouble accepting has to do with the baptism of Christ. There in the subtle language of Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it has Jesus, when he saw John the Baptist, was baptized in the Jordan. What a scene that must have been. But they comment on it. They said in Acts three sixteen, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Well, that implies an inference, doesn't it? Jesus was down in the water. Jesus was immersed. When he was baptized. That's what we can infer from that passage. For some reason we have a lot of trouble. Making that inference. <clears throat> also I wanted to go to an example. Uh, Bobby had given me in some of the studies. She had been doing. And it's the example of the tabernacle. And you remember this. When the Israelites were wandering around the wilderness. And uh, God decided. That he wanted a place where his presence could be. So they constructed through his specific instructions to build this tent that went with them from time to time. It had very specific furnishings, very specific dimensions. It was something they would set up whenever they camped for a while. And sure enough, the God's presence was evident in this tabernacle of something to impress them. Let's go through this example we have for us in Exodus First, in Exodus chapter 25, we see that God commanded that uh, they build this tabernacle. And uh, there in Exodus 25, verse 8, Let them make me a sanctuary, <clears throat> according from God, that I may dwell among them. 
according to all that I show you. That, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all his furnishings, just so you shall make it. So that's how he wanted them to do it. And he told them exactly how he wanted to do it. We see that every detail was important. Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 5. You shall put it under the rim of the altars. Notice the detail. Beneath that the network may be midway by up the altar. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood. Overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be put on the two sides of the altar to bear it. He shall make it hollow with boards, as it was shown you on the mountain. So shall they make it. Notice the detail there as they were building the furnishings in the inside of this tabernacle. <clears throat> Moses did exactly as God commanded. He was told to build it in a year. Here in Exodus chapter 40, verse 17, And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So they got it done. They got it done just exactly as God wanted them to do it. They followed the pattern. Once you go to Second Timothy now, as Paul writes about this idea of following God's plan, how important it is. So I'm at Second Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read 13 and 14 here. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Isn't that a powerful verse? Telling us to follow the word of God. Calling it sound teaching. Equating it with the love that we should have for Jesus Christ. Calling it like a something you're, you're cherishing. It says guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That's how it's so important for us to study the word of God. Apply these lessons to our lives. Continue to grow as Christians. Do the best we can to let other people know about it. That's why it's so important. Was well, world so confused? You know, you almost quit watching the news. I hear Jay say that sometimes too. And I do that too. But then when you listen to it one day, you get so shocked by what went on, you swear off the news again. There's so much error, so much problems, and people are getting away from the authority that they should look for how they should live their lives and guide their lives in the Holy Scripture. Well, there's something involved here, and I'll tell you about an antidote here. And something we need to point out right away is that uh, we need to be aware. Uh, the God of this world that we're standing in is all Satan's work. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, since we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God, deceitfully, but by manifestation, the truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Those mind, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. 
who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They don't want to believe, do they? They're following the God of this age. Did you see what Paul said here in 2 Corinthians? They're blinded by the devil. That's why there's so much error in this world. It's almost like they're wanting that to happen. It's a sad state of affairs. I've got another verse to con- for, us to con- for us to consider, and I'll put that one up for you to read. <coughs> Be aware, this error we have in the scriptures is Satan's work. 2 Corinthians 11 now. For such are false prophets. Here's Paul talking about those <coughs> who were in that first century church uh, spreading error. And we've had people come in this church try to spread error. We've had people all over the community doing their best to spread error. We've got a church in Derby has got yard signs all over the east side of Derby. They're spreading error also. First, second Corinthians 11, Paul speaking again. For such are false prophets, deceitful, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. God won't tolerate this error. He won't tolerate people spreading error also. They may live a glorious life here on this short time on earth. We see here in the end, that's not a veiled threat, is it? It says their end will be according to their works. So we need to be aware when we go when we hear about this error. It's all promoted by <clears throat> by Satan himself. Also, when it comes to error, believing doctrine that's not sound, getting caught up into fads of religion, <clears throat> we need to also acknowledge our contribution. We need to make sure that we're on the straight and narrow path. You know, uh, some people reject the truth of the Bible willfully. Matthew 23 and verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stoned those who are sent to her. How often I wanted your children together as a hen gathers your chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Some people just don't want anything to do with it. Willfully reject the word of God. Willfully disdain those who preach the word of God. We've all seen that, I'm sure, this willful rejection of the authority of God. Also, some willfully just refuse to follow the word of God. Reading here in Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 26, Go to the people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull, and the ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Maybe you've experienced that. I know how I have. Talking to somebody about the truth of God, telling them about the great message of hope in the New Testament, sometimes you just see them turn their 
head off. You can see it in their eyes. They're not listening anymore. They're refusing to change their ways. Even though you're talking, they're not hearing. Even though you're showing the word in the Holy Bible, they're not seeing. Willful refusal. Another thing going on that we need to acknowledge in this antidote for error is that some people love the praise of men. That's what they're all about. Living for the glory they can attain in this earth. What they can have in this life. We'll read from John chapter 12. <coughs> beginning in verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Lest they should be put out of their synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Any of you ever work at a big place, there's lots of politics going on, people sucking up here, people doing this over there, on and on it goes. Seems like it's all about politics. Well, to me, we're just trying to build airplanes. Isn't that the main thing we should do? Well, that's not it sometimes. People love the praise of men, love to be glorified here on this earth. It'll cause you to lose your soul, the praise of men. Another thing that comes up that contributes to error has to do with worldly wisdom. And this will ring a few bells also. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Sorry about the error in my typing. Verses 18 through 27. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Don't we hear that in the news all the time? How foolish we are for worshiping God. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now listen to this next part. It just reminds you of 2022. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world, through wisdom, did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Verse 22. For Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called... Say that again. But for those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, but not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the, math, the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Isn't that a powerful passage for us to consider this morning? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Maybe read that again sometime this week. I understand how important that is for us in this life. So we want to stay away from error. We want to live our lives the way we should by looking for the way we should live in the New Testament. We want to tell others about it, every opportunity we have. 
<clears throat> we pray for those opportunities, and they'll come up more than you think will do. <clears throat> so today, we want to uh, steal ourselves, consider ourselves <clears throat> worthy of the calling of Christ, and do the best we can to grow on that. You know, today, you too can choose to, to be saved. You know, the world says you're saved, and then you go select the church of your choice. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Romans 12 and verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you may approve that is good, and acceptable, the perfect will of God. Here in Acts chapter 2, that great gospel sermon there, it tells us that praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You can be added to his church today. If you're not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, you too can be buried in baptism with him. Live your life according to his word. Continue to grow as Christians and help others become Christians. Maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you forgot the authority that we have in front of us, the New Testament. Maybe you started being influenced by this world. Want the prayers of this congregation, the help of the good folks here. We ask you to come forward too. As together, we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.